This is our third 1010 in the park, and uh, we're so glad you're here today. And uh, I want, once again, I want to thank uh, Keith and Dre, who came a little bit earlier to get this stuff set up. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Love you. Mean it. Appreciate it. Love you, Dre. Okay, they're all turning away from me. Okay. All right. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. So uh, just uh, about, man, it's been a week ago that my wife and I did some traveling, and we went to the uh, country of Canada. Now, you may think, well, that's really not a country, but yes, it is. I'm just letting you know. It's not America Junior, and it's not the 51st state. It is a country. And uh, the reason why we went is we served there, uh, gosh, early 2000s, from 2001 to 2006. We were part of a church called The Sanctuary that uh, was church planted there in the greater Toronto area. So we went back to go visit friends is what I'm trying to tell you. And uh, one of the things that you have to do when you travel air, sea, or even land anymore is that when you go to another country, you're going to go through what? Customs. That's right. So we're driving up, and, and what do we have to have? We just can't have a driver's license anymore. You have to have a passport. You have to have a passport. Why? So that you can prove that you are whatever citizen of what country you are. And then they ask, well, how long are you going to be here? What are you going to be doing? Okay, you are who you say you are. And so uh, that's, that's uh, something that is, you know, if you're going to travel anymore outside of the United States, you're going to need that. And why do I share that with you? It's because today we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus is going to be talking to his disciples. Not really so much talking to them, but asking them questions about who he is. Who is Jesus? And so, you know, just like when we got to the border, we could not get in until we shared who we were, until we proved who we were. And so that's what we're going to see here today. And the message is titled, Would the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? Because in our culture today, uh, culture has defined Jesus who they believe Jesus is to be. I mean, I could be here today and define who Jesus is to me. But what we want to see is who Jesus is by what Scripture says. And so, so that's what we're going to look at. And listen, here's the thing. If we truly believe Jesus is who he says he is, then, then we're going to eventually need to decide who he is to us. So you're with me there? So there comes a, a, a time where each of us is going to make that decision of who Jesus is to us. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the gospel of Matthew here today as we're continuing our series called Hope Has a Name where we've been looking at people who have encountered Jesus. And, uh, and so we, we said that when we began this series back in May, we said that if we want to remember anything as Christ followers, we want to remember this. It's found in Hebrews 12, 2. It says, keep your eyes focused on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For he is the one who took on the cross. He bore our sin and our shame. And he did it because that's what the father wanted. The Father wanted a relationship with his creation. And through Jesus Christ and by faith and believing in what he's done on the cross, we can have a personal relationship with him. And so, so in, this, in this Matthew passage in chapter 16, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 20. But before there, what we see is that the Pharisees were asking Jesus for a sign. He has an encounter with the religious leaders. And so he takes off with his disciples. They go pretty far away. And uh, it... it Actually, uh, they go to the region of Caesarea Philippi, which is about 25 miles north of, of, um, of Jerusalem. So this, is, this was a long trek, you know, so maybe a day or two. But here's where we begin to see Jesus begin to ask the question to his disciples, 
Who am I? So let's look beginning in verse 13. It says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Verse 16 says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. And so in this encounter, Jesus asked, who did people say that the son of man is? Now, this term son of man was speaking of Jesus's humanity because Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. And so he's asking, what are people saying? And so if you notice that his disciples are saying, well, you're many of the Old Testament or the, the prophets of long ago, which we call the Old Testament prophets today. And if you remember, a prophet is someone who spoke on behalf of God. And it was, it was fascinating as I was studying this passage is that he, they mentioned Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was close in relation to Jesus in the sense of his ministry and his suffering for the ministry. Very fascinating. So remember, this is a Jewish culture, and so they're saying, Jesus, you're, you're one of these prophets. You're one of these humans that, that people think that you are. So basically what Jesus is saying, who am I? To the, to, what are you hearing? What's the word on the street? Very generic question, wouldn't you say? Pretty generic question. You know, if somebody, if somebody was to say, hey, you know, if I asked you, what, what do people say about me? Who do they say that I am? I, mean, I may not want to know the answer, but, you know, hey, here's the thing. Like, who do people say that I am? Or you may ask that. What, are, what do people say about me? What, what's my reputation? What's going on? Who am I? And what we see, though, is that Jesus goes from a generic question to a specific question. Why is that? Here's, here's why. It's because Jesus wanted his disciples to get a, a clear understanding of his Messiahship first before he could let them know what he was going to do. Okay, so that's important. We're going to touch on that in just a few moments. So it goes from a, a very generic question to a personal one. He says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Because the disciples have been hanging around with Jesus. So Jesus had chosen them to follow him as, the, as his rabbi, being his rabbi over his disciples. And what about you? And Simon Peter answers, well, you, you're the one. You are the, the savior of the Jewish nation. That's who you are. What does he say in verse 16? He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter doesn't say you're son of man, you're son of the living God. Peter is recognizing Jesus's divinity. He's recognizing that God had anointed Jesus Christ, set him apart for the work of the kingdom of God. And so this is where Peter is saying, Jesus, you are the one that we've been told about, and you are the one that we have been waiting on for a long, long time time. And so in your notes, here's what we want to see here as we look at these first few verses is that our faith will be questioned. Our faith will be questioned. Those of you who are Christ followers today came to a point to recognize that you and your relationship with God was questioned. And now that you're a Christ follower, now your faith will be questioned. But the Bible tells us clearly in 1 Peter 3.15 how we handle when our faith is questioned, it says, but in your hearts, revere. In other words, respect, put up on high, who? Christ is Lord. Set apart 
or, or another translation says, set apart Christ in your hearts. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with what? Gentleness and respect. So we need to understand that when our faith is questioned, we say first and foremost, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Not only did Jesus save me, but he rules the throne of my heart. So we're ready to give an answer. Not an answer of what we think is right, but what God's word says to us. And here's the thing, an important piece to our faith and our understanding is confession. Think about that for a second. We have to confess that Jesus is Lord, but we just don't say that he's Lord of our lives. We make it a reality in our lives. We begin to live out what we say is true about the Jesus that we believe in. Are you with me? And so with that, here's the thing. What we want to begin to do is align Jesus's identity of who he is, the real Jesus, with that of God's. And so when we begin to do that, here's the thing, folks, is that if the real Jesus is going to have any place in your life, he has to be put first. Now, that may be easy for me to say and for you to say, but not just first at a one-time deal, but it's first in, in different areas of our lives. You may have to ask the question, is Jesus first in all areas of my life? And I know at times I, I wrestle with that. Like, God, I got this one. Jesus, I can handle this. If you just take care of the big stuff, I'll take care of the little things, but that's not what it's saying here. It's saying that you have rule and reign over my life, not just different aspects of it. So you with me there? So that is the first thing that we need to see. Let's continue here. Verse 17, it says this, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, will not overcome it. You know, P Jesus here, he's commending Peter for his answer. Peter made a declaration of who Jesus was. Now Jesus is making a declaration to Peter. And what he's saying is that you are blessed. In other words, this word blessed means you are highly favored by God, Peter. And if you follow the scriptures and you follow the gospels, that Peter didn't always put Jesus first. When Jesus was going to the cross, when he was put on trial, what, 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 was, what was Peter's reaction? I don't know this guy. But here, if Peter, you know, and I'm not saying this happened with Peter, but could you imagine him going back to this moment when he was denying Christ those three times? You were, you were the one that we've been waiting for. Now, I'm not saying that he did that. I'm just saying, imagine with me for a moment that this moment goes from this moment to saying, I don't even know him. You know, we do that in our own lives, don't we? We'll deny him when we want to do things our way rather than God's way. But what Peter understood about Christ wasn't revealed to him by somebody saying, there's a Messiah coming. God himself revealed it to him. Because that term flesh and blood is simply a term, a Hebrew term, meaning mortal being. So it wasn't people who had said, this is the one you got to believe in, but it was through God. See, for us, God revealed himself to us through his Holy Spirit to show us who the real Jesus was. And what, what Jesus does is he commends him, but then he changes gears. He changes gears by saying, listen, Peter, you are going to begin to do great things. 
And when he says that, he's talking about, Peter, you're going to be a part of building my church. And he talks about on this rock, the word rock meaning uh, petra, or petros meaning rock and, uh, in, in Greek. But what, what Jesus was doing, Jesus was speaking to Peter in Aramaic. And so the word petros means small stone or a stone that came off a larger rock. Okay, you with me? And so what's fascinating is in the Aramaic is the word kepa, which means massive rock. So I'm thinking, wow, like God's going to use an ordinary guy who will deny him, an ordinary guy that will try to do things his own way. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church. Now, in, in, studying, in studying the commentary, there was different arguments about, like, some believe that Peter was the rock the church was built on, and others say it's Christ, and I believe it's Christ, because when, when in, the, in the biblical times where homes were built, there was a cornerstone that was laid down, and then the, the walls would go around to, to be a part of that cornerstone. If a cornerstone was removed, what would happen? The building would fall. And so scripture even says this, in 1 Corinthians 3.11, it says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. So here at 1010, we believe that Christ is the cornerstone. And God will build his church. And he will take the little rocks to build what's around the big rock, who is Christ. Amen? Amen. That's where it's at. And, and notice here. As Jesus continues with Peter, he's saying, listen, he says church. He's not talking about kingdom. He's talking about the church. Again, the living stones that are being built here on earth. As followers of Christ, we are in what's called the church age. We're in the church age waiting for Christ's second coming and where his kingdom will be here. And that we will rule and reign with him forever at his second coming. So notice we're Jesus is talking about the church not the kingdom. We're going to talk about the kingdom in just a minute. But what Jesus says is like the gates of hell will not prevail. Hell and Satan and the, and the forces of darkness cannot overthrow the kingdom of God. The church cannot be defeated. Let me tell you that again. Anything of the evil one and darkness cannot defeat the church. That's amen right there, folks. Why? Because sometimes we live as if we can be defeated by the enemy. We, sometimes we believe with our fears that, that the church can be taken out, but it can't. Even Christ's death proved that, that the church can, will, would not be stopped. And, we, and if you take time to read in Acts chapter 2 and an event called Pentecost is where God's spirit came and the church began. What, isn't that beautiful? That it is about his church. Nothing can stop it. And an image that I thought of is found in Ephesians 5.25 where Jesus uses the image of image. And the picture of marriage where he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church who gave himself up for it. I was like, wow, that's powerful. Now I got to step it up as a husband, I guess. Anyway, so he was using that picture to say nothing will stop Christ's church on earth. And so with that, in your, in your second uh, point in your outline is this, is that our faith is alive and active our faith is alive and active. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's handiworks, being of God's children, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And if we take time in the presence of God, if we take time to sit and listen to him, he will show us the works that he prepared in advance for us to do. 
Yes? All right. You're just so far off. I, I'm just, you know. <laughs> Amen. Okay, good, good. But here's the thing. Let me remind you that God builds his church. Jeff can't build Redemption 1010. Jeff can participate in the work that God's doing in Norristown, but Jeff can't build this church. Only God builds this church. And it's the living stones that are here today and that will be here in the future that will build God's church. And if the real Jesus, folks, is going to have a place in our lives, we have to surrender that. And we have to say, this church is for your glory, God. This church is not for my, uh, my fame. It's not for me. It's not for kudos. It's nothing. It is for you, for your name, and for your renown. And as a church, we can begin to move and shake and watch as God moves and shakes and what we as a church can do in this community. You know, and this is just a side note if you want to put it in your notes, but one of the things that keeps coming up as I meet with officials in Norristown is youth. They said something needs to be here for our young people, for our next generation. So put that down. Put that down in your notes to begin to pray for the youth of this community, the next generation of this community, because I sit here and I go, all right, so I did youth ministry for 18 years. God, do you want me to be a part of what Norristown wants to do with the next generation? I have no idea, but I know God does. Why? Because created in Christ Jesus, he gave me works. He gave you works. He prepared them in advance for us to do. And so we want to remember that our, our faith will be questioned and our faith is alive and active. Let's look at verse 19. Jesus continues on. He says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, that's very interesting because it seems like Jesus was going cryptic, binding and loosing keys and, and all that. But he's letting him know, Peter, I'm giving, I'm passing on to you already what's about to go down. Do you understand? He says, Peter, here's what I'm saying. I'm giving you authority, period, Peter, to share the gospel. I'm giving you authority, Peter, to be a part of what I'm about to do. And there's going to come a point, Peter, where, and he doesn't tell him this, but as, as we know, Peter becomes a great force for the kingdom of God in the early church. And he says, listen, you're going to have authority to make judgments on my behalf, not on Peter's behalf, on God's behalf, but also you're going to have the authority to speak about the kingdom of God. Now, remember, he hasn't gone there yet because that doesn't happen until Jesus in verse 21 and on. He predicts his death and he begins to talk to him about what's going to happen. But as a follower of Christ, we have the keys to the kingdom. Anyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ that says you are Lord and Savior, we have those keys. But it comes with confession. It comes with repentance. It comes to say that, Jesus, you are Lord of all. And, and when Jesus talks about binding and loosening, it was a term that the rabbis used in that day and time. And, and it's been argued that there are, are different uh, points of view when it comes to this idea of binding and loosing. The first is church discipline. The second is dealing with forgiveness. The third is sharing salvation through God's word. Now, all three, listen, all three are acceptable. But what we need to understand is that it's not our job to save people. It's not our job to say, well, this is open for you and this is closed for you. 
Our job is to follow God and to love people as he would love them, and he is the one who will change them. Because sometimes we can get what's called a Messiah complex, don't we? Where we feel that we have to save people, where we feel that we have to make this situation right. Now, mind you, there are times where we need to be responsible for us, but it's God that does the changing. It's God that does the saving. That's what we need to understand. And once again, anyone who believes that Jesus Christ is Lord, the doors are wide open. Like we said, when we were taking time to worship him through song, his arms are open wide. He doesn't cross his arms and say, you know what? This is your past. Can't take in. He doesn't say that. Or you don't have this right about your life. Can't come in. No, he says, if you come to me and call out to me, my arms are open wide. That's the beauty of a loving God that we live for and that we serve. And so our third, our third point here is that our faith has a responsibility. Our faith has a responsibility. 1 Timothy 6.12 says this, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you were made good, your confession in the presence of many witnesses. Today, if you are a child of God, you have the keys to the kingdom. That's, that's, that's the truth. Every Christian today has God's word. Those are the keys to the kingdom. And, and we... We judge our lives on the template of his word. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what's important, not by what we or our culture defines as what's good and what's right and what's wrong. But we say that it is what God says is what's right. We say it's what God says is what's wrong. And we abide by that. See, if the real Jesus is going to have a place in our lives, we will choose whether or not to freely share the gospel or to keep it closed to those around us. Because I know God's heart for here is to see lives rise up, to follow him, to give him glory. Now, wherever you are with this, just know that it's the same for you. God's calling each of us to rise up. We each have a responsibility. And your responsibility may not be my responsibility, but we have the same responsibility in the fact that we have the keys to the kingdom. Amen? And that we can be used by God whatever sphere of influence that we're in. And it doesn't matter, but we do it for him and his glory. So let's, let's look as Jesus, Jesus finishes here. In verse 20, he says this. He says, Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now, that's very interesting because he went on about this whole deal. And what happened? Don't tell anybody. Could you imagine being told something so important? So, so like, I need to let the next person know this is too good to be true. I cannot hold this in. And Jesus says, don't say a word. That was fascinating to me. Why was it fascinating? Because it goes back to what he, we, we first understood. Jesus needed them to understand who he was before he would let them know what he was about to do. Once Jesus let them know that he was here, why? His main purpose was his mission. What was his mission? To die for the sin of humanity. That's why he came for you and for me. And, and what, what, what was happening with Jesus is what? People were more interested in what he could do for them, right? Immediate needs, rather than saying, you know what, I need to give you my life. So it was almost as if sometimes Jesus was a sideshow to people. And he's like that, you know, if you talk to people today, you say, well, 
Tell me about Jesus. Well, he was a good person, or he did this, or he did that. But at the end of the day, guess what? That's not what it's about. It was about a mission that Jesus came on. It was about a purpose that he came on. Because once Jesus revealed his identity, the cross wasn't too far behind. Okay, folks? And, and when the real Jesus stands up, he came to die for sinners like you and like me. And I'm so glad he did. I'm so glad he saved me. I'm so glad he gave me the opportunity to be here with you all today at a park. I even said to the folks before we got started, who was the genius to do a, a park service in August? Why? Because I've been asked and called by God to give a message of hope. Because some of us here today can relate to say, I was once hopeless. I was once broken. I was once empty. And listen, at the end of the day, I say this every time that I have the opportunity to say, Jesus is the one who will fulfill your every need. The world will meet your needs and meet you temporarily. But Jesus will fulfill that need and make it permanent. And so, so what we see is, is that our faith will be questioned our faith, we have a responsibility with it, and our faith is alive and active. But it's up to you and I to make that decision of what we want to do with it. And that's really the question for us here this morning is simply this. It's simply just like Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? That's the question, really, at the crux of it all. Jesus said a bunch of things today, but it really goes back to that original question. Who do you say that I am? If you're familiar with the author C.S. Lewis, he talked about Jesus being one of three things. He said that Jesus was either a liar, that everything that he told was just made up so that he could gain popularity. But Jesus also, uh, C.S. Lewis also said that Jesus, he was either a liar or he was a lunatic. He was either just downright crazy that he should have been put away for a long time. I'm the son of God. You didn't say that in the Jewish culture. That was, that was called heresy. That was speaking against God. So he was either a liar or a lunatic or Jesus was actually Lord. And I believe today that he's Lord. He's not only Lord of, of the past, but he's Lord of the present and he'll be the Lord of now and forever. Amen? That's who he is. I'm going to ask the, Keith to come back up as we, we begin to conclude. And so I'll ask you again today, Jesus is asking you, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You know, Jesus had a conversation with his disciples in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John chapter 6, Jesus said some pretty harsh things to a crowd that was around him. And they all began to walk away. And who was left? the disciples. Jesus says, well, what about you guys? Are you going to leave too? And Peter looks at him. He says, where else do we have to go? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. And what I love about it is as, as this conversation finishes out, Peter, here's what he says in John 6, 69. He says this, we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? Because listen, at the end of the day, 
Jesus doesn't have to prove anything. He is who he is. He is the son of God, the son of the living God. And by faith, when we come and surrender our lives to him and confess who he is, he'll reveal himself. He will show up. He won't delay. He won't tell you to hold on. He will show up. He will reveal himself to you and I. But it comes with faith. It comes with faith, believing in who he is and what he's done for us. And that's when he'll stand up in your life.